Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. Today we'll be talking with someone who started losing her vision due to RP and how getting a guide dog completely changed her life. We'll speak with Katie McCoy, who is the Associate Director of Philanthropy at Southeastern Guide Dogs, from which organization she got her own guide dog. We'll talk with her about those experiences, as well as about a book that she recently published entitled Retinitis Pigmentosa 101, How to Understand, Accept, and Live Your Best Life with Retinitis Pigmentosa. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Katie McCoy. I think the biggest tip that I probably have, and I think this has been later in life that I've figured it out, like don't let your eyesight define you. Like you are a person and you do all of this other stuff in your life and other people, you know, can say, I'm a runner, like I'm an engineer. Uh, I'm a, you know, I love to cook and I feel like for a lot of my life I was sitting there saying, you know, I'm the blind girl, you know, and I did all this other stuff. I've been a runner, you know, since 11th grade, I did track and I wasn't letting that stuff define me, all the good stuff I was letting the one bad thing define me. And I think Bristol really pushed me out of my shell and she's always there encouraging me to do all of these positive things. So I think what I would say is let all of the good stuff define you and not the one thing that's, you know, your disability. Like don't think about it as a disability. It's something that makes you stronger and everyone has problems. You know, nobody's perfect. It just happens to be that yours is more visible than other people, but focus on all the good stuff. Oh, thank you. That is such a wonderful attitude, and I am really sorry that you had to learn that the hard way. Oh, it's okay. It's life. (laughs) And Bristol is her guide dog that she acquired that really opened up a lot of doors for her, and we'll be hearing more about that in just a bit. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by Ira, an app that remotely connects people who are blind or have low vision to trained agents for access to visual information. Details are available at 1-800-835-1934. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Katie. Uh, I'm Katie McCoy, and I work in philanthropy at Southeastern Guide Dogs. I have retinitis pigmentosa, uh, and specifically I have Lieber's congenital amaurosis. And how does that affect your visual acuity? So my eyesight has been stable my whole life, but I have been legally blind my whole life. So I have no peripheral vision. I can't see in the dark, uh, and I struggle with depth perception and light change. And I have always been pretty active, um, but I've always hid my eyesight troubles throughout my entire life. You said you work for a guide dog organization. Do you have a guide dog yourself? 
I did not get a guide dog until I was 24, but now I have a guide dog named Bristol from Southeastern Guide Dogs, and I got matched with her four years ago. And now I work at Southeastern because once I got Bristol, it changed my life so much that I really felt like I wanted to help other people uh, get their life changed as well and help make that impact on others, and I wanted to be able to give back. And that'll be the main topic of today's conversation is how getting your first guide dog did change your life. Okay. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Katie's experiences with retinitis pigmentosa and the resulting vision loss and a guide dog, as well as some of the special services provided by Southeastern Guide Dogs. So you mentioned in the introduction that it took some time to come out of the closet, so to speak, about your blindness. Can you talk about what that was like for you? Because I think that's difficult for a lot of people to admit that they are blind, that they may have some issues getting around, etc. Yes. So growing up, the biggest thing was that I wore these big Coke bottle glasses uh, all the way up until halfway through fifth grade. And I actually hated wearing them so much. I tried to get contacts in second grade. Did not work out. But I was bullied and I didn't have a lot of friends in school because I stuck out so much with my big glasses and I would run into stuff. And I think that's really what affected me not wanting to tell people about my eyesight. No one likes to be different, especially young people. Yes, definitely. It was very much uh, after that, I did get contacts in fifth grade. Um, My mom always bought me like the best clothes um, and I would always have the most up-to-date clothes. So now I can't afford that because I'm an adult person. But, uh, (laughs) but, (laughs) um, but, you know, she tried so hard to help me fit in. And then I tried really hard to fit in. I never used my cane. I mean, I went through all the mobility and orientation training, never used my cane all the way up through graduate school. And actually, when I was in graduate school in Washington, D.C., I was in a small graduate program. There was only 12 other students, and I didn't tell a single one of them about my eyesight. Uh, And it took someone almost a semester to figure it out. And we spent six hours a day together. So I was still trying to blend in up until I was like 23. And it was actually while I was in grad school that I realized that This blending in thing wasn't working. I was just stressed all the time and unhappy, and I was lonely. So you mentioned that you were partway through graduate school when you decided to finally open up and let people know that you had visual problems. Mm -hmm. How did that go? You know, it was the same, I think, as when I was younger. Um, There was a girl in my master's program. Um, She was actually the first girl. She figured it out on her own. And we had been making a friendship before then. And when she figured it out, she ended up being incredibly mean to me to the point that other people would like get involved and say, you know, like, what are you doing? You need to back off. Um, So I wouldn't say it necessarily went uh, super well. Uh, Some people, you know, were great about it. I think the thing was, even though they figured it out, I still didn't talk about it a lot. 
and I still was trying to act normal and I was trying to get around and I would try to go out with them, you know, at night and it would just be so stressful because I couldn't see anything. Uh, so I ended up spending a lot of time by myself. So I wouldn't say it went particularly well then at that point, but that is also what made, went into this decision to get a guide dog. And how much later was it before you got the dog? Probably, I think I started my application process about six months after I finished graduate school. So it was probably a little less than a year after graduate school that I ended up getting a guide dog. And it sounds like that was an opportunity to, in some sense, reboot your life and how you were approaching it with your vision impairment. Did that actually make a big change in your life? A huge change. So my thing was, is I never wanted to ask for help. Uh, I didn't want to stick out. I didn't want people to know there was a problem. And I also think when you're out in public and you're, you know, you have weird mannerisms and you're acting a little weird um, because you can't see stuff that people are sitting there and they're thinking, oh, what's wrong with that girl? But when you walk in with a dog, everyone's like, oh my God, a dog. And they're so excited. And it also makes people know, oh, she has a visual impairment. You know, maybe she's struggling with this. I can approach her and see if she needs help or I can go ask somebody for help and they're not going to look at me like, what's wrong with you? They're just going to help. It It definitely changed that aspect a lot. Uh, having a dog can be a real icebreaker from what I've been told from other dog owners. It definitely is. I mean, I was definitely right when I was younger. I didn't want a guide dog because I didn't want to stick out. Uh, and it definitely will make you stick out. You will have people coming up to you all the time. But the difference is, is it's not the sticking out like it is when you're walking around with a cane. People aren't coming up to you and looking at you with all the pity in their eyes um, and being all freaked out by it. The puppies are nice and friendly. Yes. And Bristol is super friendly. So she loves all people. You know, the thing is, is like people don't understand visual impairments. It's something they can't even imagine like going around without that sense and having to use their other four senses uh, so much. And I think it's something that really terrifies people. Uh, but with the dog, they're not thinking as much about that aspect. They're just so curious about how does this dog help you? What does she do? Or they're just like, oh my God, there's a dog in this store and that never happens. And we're so excited to see it. Yeah, I guess that's interesting. The focus becomes on the dog and it brings out the friendlier side of people and they're not thinking about some poor, pathetic blind person wandering around. Exactly. Interesting. So what did you do after you got your guide dog and after graduate school? Is that when you started work at the Guide Dog Association? Oh, no. So I got my master's in museum education. Uh, so prior to getting my guide dog, I worked in a couple museums in D.C., um, one of which was the National Museum of Natural History. Once I got Bristol, I was working at as an education assistant at the Old Exchange in Provost Dungeon in Charleston. So then I ended up joining Teach for America, and I was a teacher for two years, and I taught special ed, uh, middle school special ed in Walterboro, South Carolina. But then I got a little disheartened. It was very idealistic. And as a teacher, it's hard to fix those issues. Um, you really have to go into educational policy. And I wasn't sure if that was for me. So Southeastern Guide Dogs had ended up calling me and saying they had this job they thought would be great for me and flew me down to do an interview. And so I ended up working for Southeastern. And I've been working there for a year now. 
Wow. Well, it sounds like you're a person who's certainly not afraid of change and open to new ideas and following your dreams. Oh, I definitely am. I am all about change and I have moved around a lot. Uh, Definitely not afraid of any of that. So I wanted to talk a little bit about a book you wrote to describe some of your experiences growing up. I thought you had some interesting stories and perspectives about fitting in as a visually impaired individual and even thinking about things like, you know, how to dress so you didn't look different and how you interacted with people. First of all, tell us the name of the book and then tell us a little bit about what you were trying to tell people in the book. The name of the book is Retinitis Pigmentosa 101, and it was written for How Expert, um, which is a company that writes how-to books, um, or they have freelancers write how-to books. So they wanted me to write a book on, as a person with retinitis pigmentosa, how to live with it, because they said there's not a lot of books out there where people really talk about that and discuss that. And it's something that I feel passionate about and that I wish I had somebody there who could have told me, you know, what to do. It would have made my life a lot easier. Um, And I might have listened to somebody else uh, rather than my parents who, you know, didn't have the visual impairment. And also, you know, when you're a kid or especially when you're a teenager, you're less likely to listen to your parents. That's for sure. So you're talking about your book and um, growing up with a visual impairment. You know, I guess... Particularly when you're young as a child with a visual impairment, you're really kind of alone. You probably didn't associate with other children who are visually impaired. You probably didn't know any. And so having some self-help book or knowing of some other person who went through a similar experience would have been quite helpful at the time, I guess. Yes, uh, it definitely would have been. Uh, and I actually have a, a friend who also has retinitis pigmentosa, and he wasn't diagnosed until he was 21. Um, but he is also has a hearing impairment and wore hearing aids um, as we were growing up, and we have known each other since we were like three or four. And I do remember like gravitating towards him and us being friends. And I feel like now as an adult, I can look back and say, you know, we started being friends because we were the two weird kids who had this disability that nobody else had. And kids were probably mean to us. I mean, I don't remember. I was really young then when I was in daycare, but I think about it now. And I think we probably gravitated toward each other because we had a commonality and we were struggling with something that other kids weren't and other kids didn't understand it. Well, you know, I don't consider myself to have a visual impairment. My eyesight has always been correctable to 2020 with eyeglasses. That said, I got my first pair of eyeglasses when I was three. And let me tell you, there weren't other kids in preschool and kindergarten and first grade with eyeglasses. And I just remember being so thrilled and so relieved somewhere around fifth or sixth grade, some of the other kids got glasses. And so even though my vision was never an impairment, I was different because I was the kid with the glasses. And, you know, kids just hate being different, whatever the difference is. Yes, that was just a big part of, you know, growing up that I felt like I just had to try so hard to fit in. Uh, Now as an adult, I don't feel like that. But I definitely think it's going through school all the way up through high school that you do have to just work to try to do that. And you made that point very well in the book about different ways of trying to fit in, become like the other children, associate with the other children, and 
you know, just kind of, in some sense, ignore your disability, but knowing that you had it and finding ways to work around it. Yes, definitely. You're starting a new venture called Beyond the Dark. What is that all about? So Beyond the Dark, it's very exciting. Uh, this is going to be a multi-sensory program. So it's an immersion. So what we do is we actually even have a whole set. It is like a whole theater production. So when you come in, we will be serving coffee, which is a big perk. It's free coffee. Everybody loves free coffee. Uh, yes. And uh, the beverages are named after the dogs that are in the program. So that's pretty cute. Uh, so, you know, if you come in, Bristol's Blizzard, that is named after my dog because I made a really big push to have Frappuccinos there. <laughs> <laughs> Yum. Uh, so it, the set will make it look like you're in a coffee shop and there will be music playing like you're in a coffee shop. And then everybody has blindfolds. And so what will happen is you'll get to learn a little bit about our organization and what we do. And then you will also get to experience what it's like to be blind, as well as what it's like to live with PTSD. Because Southeastern Guide Dogs does dogs for the visually impaired. So they do guide dogs. And then they also do dogs for veterans who have PTSD. So they do service dogs as well. And what happens next after the participants put on blindfolds? When you put on the blindfolds, there's the first audio is like you are a visually impaired person. You're in a cafe and your friend calls uh, and you are going to meet them. So you're using a cane. You have to get on a bus. You end up hitting your head on a sign when you get off the bus. Um, when you're on the bus, you almost sit on someone. Uh, and then it ends with you actually almost get hit by a car. <laughs> Boy, that's something to remember. Uh, yes, it's pretty, and it's um, are the whole program's in surround sound, so it's actually interesting to watch the people. Like when um, I, it's actually me in the recording, but when I hit my head on the sign, they everyone actually flinches, which is like pretty funny to watch because they didn't actually hit their head on anything. Oh, this is great! You kind of made a virtual reality for people without vision. Yes, great. And then what we do is we have a demonstration where we show what a guide dog could have done to, you know, prevent all of that from happening. Uh, and then you'll get to hear from me, um, who's the graduate, and I will tell you about my story and what my life was like before I had Bristol, uh, and then what my life was like after Bristol and what all she's done for me. And then we have a portion of the program about PTSD, and so you'll put your blindfolds on again, and you will actually be immersed into a combat scenario. So if anyone has PTSD, we do, you know, warn them before because it could cause triggers. It's a little intense. Well, and I noticed on your website where you describe the experience, it explicitly gives that warning so that people know if, if they're concerned about getting triggered, that that would be a bad idea for them. Yes. And they can leave during this, that portion, but it, does take you through a whole battle scenario and I don't have PTSD and I still get chills every time I hear it. So then after that audio plays, we then do a demonstration on how a service dog could help somebody with PTSD. And then Sean will tell his story and how his dog Pella uh, helped him and how much she's changed his life. So he has had Pella for a year. So it's very interactive uh, as far as you're not just sitting there and hearing about what we do, like you actually get to experience it so you can understand how amazing these dogs are and how much they do change people's lives. How often do these events occur? 
they occur once a week, and they will continue to occur once a week for the foreseeable future. So it sounds like your organization, in addition to providing guide dogs and service animals, is also heavily engaged in educating the general public. Yes, and that is a newer initiative that we are moving toward, uh, is definitely educating the public so that they understand, especially nowadays uh, with all the different types of emotional support dogs out there. Uh, I think sometimes it does get a little confusing between the service dogs and the emotional support dogs. So we really want people to understand uh, what a service dog is doing and how they are helping people. Uh, And we also really want them to understand how Southeastern Guide Dogs is helping to improve people's lives and how these dogs are helping to improve people's lives. Well, that has to be very rewarding for you to be in this position because apparently having a guide dog really changed your life and your attitude towards life and how you interacted with people. And now you're able to promote and share that experience with other people who might benefit from a guide dog. Yes, it definitely is rewarding. Uh, We actually, we have eight guide dog commencements a year where people, you know, get to go home with their guide dogs. And every time I go to one, it's so incredible to hear these people's stories. Um, You know, there were people that never left their home before who, you know, were lacking independence and they were lacking confidence and just hearing they've only been with their dogs three weeks when they go home with them and just hearing the changes already and all the things that they're looking forward to doing that they weren't doing before it really makes it feel full circle and like I'm able to give back well keep up the good work sounds tremendous thank you you are listening to eyes on success 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 Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Southeastern Guide Dogs and how to contact both them and Katie McCoy and how to get her book. So if people would like to find out more about the Guide Dog Organization or find out about getting a guide dog to help change their life, where would you send them? Well, obviously, I would send them to Southeastern Guide Dogs, which is at www.guidedogs.org. You can apply for a guide dog on there. There are, as I have last heard, 12 other accredited guide dog schools in the U.S., uh, and they range all the way from Hawaii to New York. Uh, So there's probably one in your area And you can feel free if you Google guide dog schools in the U.S., a list will pop up on Wikipedia. So you can feel free to research those. But obviously, I would definitely recommend Southeastern Guide Dogs. Uh, We are rolling out a lot of cool new things. And just so you're aware, our dogs are free. So you are not paying for them. The only thing you have to pay for is getting to campus. And that list of guide dog schools on Wikipedia that Katie referred to actually contains a list of guide dog schools on every continent. So no matter where you are in the world, you can use that list to help you find a guide dog school near you. And if you're on the fence about a guide dog, it sounds like that Beyond the Dark program that you run every week could be useful to people. Yes. And also, uh, if you are from ages 14 to 17, 
and you are thinking about a guide dog or want to learn more about a guide dog, we do actually also have kids camps uh, four times a year where kids can come stay on campus and you will actually get to use a guide dog, see what it can do for you. Your parents come to campus as well and so they can learn what a guide dog can do. Um, they also get to learn all the super fun stuff about like financial responsibility and, and things. Uh, but I really wish they had a program like that when I was that age, because I think I would have probably got a guide dog at a younger age had I known all the amazing things they could do. It's a great way of testing it out before making a big commitment. Yes. And we do actually start offering guide dogs at the age of 15. So we are one of the only schools that does guide dogs for teenagers. Do you have a phone number or email address if people want to ask specific questions? Yes. So you can reach us at 941-729-5665. We also have a toll-free number, which is 800-944-3647. Uh, And if you are one of the people who would prefer not to talk on the phone, there is also a form you can fill out that will email us, uh, and that goes directly to our front desk, and they will email you back. And do you have a social media presence? We do. We have a Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if somebody wanted to find your book, where would they find that? So you can find that on Amazon. Uh, If you just search Retinitis Pigmentosa 101, it is the uh, first book that will pop up. And if people had questions for you, would you like to share your contact information with our listeners? Yes. So if you want to contact me, you can reach me at 941-803-7559, or you can email me at katherine.mccoy at guidedogs.org. And as usual, you'll find all of that information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And I want to encourage people to use our search tool to search for other episodes where we've talked about various aspects of guide dogs. You can enter the word dog or dogs into the search field and find all those shows. You'll get links to them along with summaries and links to the show notes. And we've talked about everything from raising the puppies to training the dogs to getting your first dog to running a marathon with a couple of guide dogs. So there's lots of opportunities to learn more about the experience of having a guide dog. So check it out. And remember, you can also use that search field to search for other items of interest. That's it for show number 1939. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about Forage Candles, the winner of last year's Hadley Institute's New Venture Competition. The competition is a forum for aspiring entrepreneurs to present their business plans and win cash prizes to help jumpstart a promising venture. We'll talk with Colleen Wunderlich from Hadley, who runs the program, along with last year's winner, Lisa Smith, about the program and how it impacted her company, Forage Candles. And finally, we have some exciting news from Ira. The Ira app that instantly connects you to professional agents to simplify daily tasks is now free to use for calls five minutes or less for anyone with an Ira account. 
Learn more at ira.io slash free. Ira is a supporter of Eyes on Success. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show, or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.